Amen. <clears throat> All right, I want to. Uh, I'm going to mention this before we get started. At the end of service, we're going to have a. Our closing prayer is going to be a, time, a special prayer, and uh, we want to pray for Dennis Best. Uh, Dennis is in the hospital and and battling cancer, and he's been on some chemo treatment and just uh, having a really rough time right now. So we're going to pray for him. And I also want you to remember Bill Harris. Bill's in the hospital. He'll be having a heart cath. The plan is for him to have a heart cath tomorrow morning, trying to identify maybe some problems that are going on with uh, high, his, his extremely high blood pressure. But he was feeling a lot better yesterday when I saw him. And then I'd ask you to pray for Angeline Smith. Uh, Angeline is uh, at home with uh, battling COVID. And uh, so she's about a week into this now. And so I just ask you to remember her. So remember those in prayer this morning, and then we'll, we'll be praying especially uh, for Dennis at, at the end of our service. If you have your Bible, and I hope you do, I hope you'll bring your Bible. I hear people say, well, I, I use my technology, and that's fine. Use your technology, but I'm telling you, there's something about having that book, and I'd encourage you to bring your book with you, bring your Bible, physical Bible, open it up. Uh, but we're going to turn to Matthew chapter 20. That's where we're going to be looking at this morning. And as we continue this series on when God asks us why, uh, we ask God why a lot of times. We, we run into difficulties in life and our response is, is, why God? Why did you let that happen to me? Why did you let that happen to them? Why did, why did, why did this happen? Why, why couldn't something else have done? God, you're a good God, so you could have intervened. You could have changed that. And, and it really is, is we have this mindset that God is altogether like us. And so we project on him how we think things ought to go. And then when they don't go the way we wanted them to go, we have a problem with that. Psalm 10 verse 1 says, Why do you stand afar off, O Lord? Why do you hide, the times, why do you hide in times of trouble? And that's the, the psalmist was getting into that, that, that kind of a questioning mode the way that we do. And so we've looked at several things about why, when, when, when we ask God that, but there are times when God asks us why. You know, and we've looked at several of them. Why, why are you fearful? We, we looked at that looking at God's protection. Why are you fearful of death? And that's God's eternal protection. We looked at why are you worried? Why are you worried? And, and why are you worried about clothing or what you're going to eat or where you're going to live? And we, and we see in that God's provision, how he provides for us. Then, then the question was, why are you angry? We saw there where, where God dealt with, with, with Cain and he probed him. And why are you angry? God knew why he was angry, but he asked him so that he would think about why he was angry. And, and we have the same issues and God probes us when we have those issues. Then, he, then last week, why do you reason? Why do you reason among us? Why are you thinking through these things? Why are you looking at things from a worldly standpoint, from a carnal standpoint? And what God was doing there is telling us, look, here are precepts from the Word of God. I've given you what you need. Why don't you look at things from a biblical standpoint? Why don't you see things from my perspective? So these are the whys that we're looking at. We're going to look at another one this morning. But, but, but in leading up to that, Matthew, you're there at Matthew chapter 20. If you'll look back in chapter 19, verses 27 through 29, kind of set the stage of what's going on in chapter 20 and what the Lord is, is answering. In verse 27 says, Then Peter answered and said to him, See, we have left all and followed you. Therefore, what shall we have? 
What are we going to have, Lord? What are we going to get for following you? What blessings are we going to receive? Verse 28, so Jesus said unto them, Assuredly, I say to you, that in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses, or brothers, or sisters, or fathers, or mother, or wife, or child, or lands for my name's sake shall receive a hundredfold and inherit eternal life. The Lord, this is all prompted by Peter and the question they had, and they all had this question about what are we going to get? We're following you. The rich young ruler had come to the Lord there, and you know what do I, must I do to inherit eternal life? And the Lord answers, and he left because he didn't like the answer, because he was rich, he had riches, he didn't want to give up those riches, he wanted to be able to have heaven and have what he wanted as well. And, uh, and so then they asked that question, you know, who then can, 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 can have eternal life? Who can? And so then Peter asked that question, you know, what are we going to have? What are we going to get out of this? Now let's look at chapter 20, verse 1 through 6. For the kingdom of heaven, this is the Lord teaching here, for the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. So you get the picture. He owns the land. He owns a vineyard. What's a vineyard? There's grapes and things are growing there in the vineyard. So he's, he, he's going out to hire laborers to work in the vineyard. Now, when he had agreed with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent them into his vineyard. So in verse 3, and he went out about the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And said to them, you also go into the vineyard, and whatever is right I will give you. So they went. Verse 5, again he went out about the sixth and the ninth hour and did likewise. And about the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing idle and said to them, why have you been standing here idle all day? Now, this story, and you can, we, we won't read through the entire story there, but this is not a story about labor and management. This isn't setting the rules for how management... Now, there's some great principles we can learn from right here, but this isn't a, a parable He's where he's telling management, this is the way you need to handle your employees, and it's not a thing where he's telling employees, this is the way you should, you should deal in your business. That's not what this is about right here. See, the landowner here is God himself, and the story here is about how God will take care of you. This is the point the Lord is making in this. He is going to take care of you. You serve him, he's going to take care of you. You know, don't work for God with a contract. Now, I know people that do that. I know people that have done that. And it's kind of like this, you know, Lord, if you will do this for me, then I'll serve you. Or, or Lord, if I can make... X amount of money, then, then Lord, I'll follow you and I'll serve you in this. Or Lord, if I can go so-and-so or I can do so-and-so, if it's just exactly what I want, Lord, then, then I'll serve you. Look, God will always do what is right. If we just submit to him and we say, Lord, I'll do whatever, if we just go and we do, God's going to take care of us. Now, these early guys, and you read it there in that first verse, or the second verse, it says, now, when they had agreed with the laborers for a denarius. See, that these early guys, they had a contract. And, 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 and if you read on and you see where he didn't negotiate a contract with the others, it makes me think those first ones that went out, they wanted a contract. They wanted to know exactly what am I going to get paid. Well, you want me to go out and work in your vineyard? Then how much are you going to pay me for a day of work? And so they worked up this contract. They negotiated the contract. They wanted to know what was in it for them. 
We don't see that with any of the other workers. He went out. He says, hey, I'll hire you. I'll do what's right. Go work in the vineyard, and I'll take care of you. I'll do what's right. So, so he hires them. He goes out. He hires them. He tells them, go get busy, and they go get busy. Look, there's plenty of work to do in the harvest. Amen? Amen. There's plenty of work to be done. There's plenty of work to do in the work of the Lord. Amen? I mean, there's, there's plenty to do. We always need more. And we really ought to be like, you know, Isaiah. In Isaiah 6, 8, it says, Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. I ought to be able to say amen right there. We pray and go home. But there's more we need to learn. But that ought to be our attitude right there. Here am I. Here am I, Lord. Send me. You need somebody to do it. We ought to have it. It ought to be a line. Every time there's a, a need in the church, there ought to be people vying for it. Man, you, you need somebody to do that? I'll do it. I'll do it. Oh, man, I didn't get there quick enough. Somebody else already done it. On Thursday mornings, we got them fighting about vacuuming the sanctuary. They don't fight. They don't fight. They don't fight. I'm kidding. I'm exaggerating. But really, we've had no, you know, it's like, man, we'll do that. There's a need. Nobody's, nobody's got that yet. I'll get that. And uh, so it's, it's amazing. That's a great, great thing. It ought to be that way in everything in God's kingdom. There ought to be a line of people like, man, I want to I do that. We should have a waiting list. No, I'm next. I'm next. No, you got it last time. This is me this time. Believer, why, why, why are you not doing something for him after all that he's done for you? After all the Lord has done for us. And we've sung this morning several songs that indicate that, 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 that we lean on, we understand, we praise him for what he's done for us. Why are we not doing more for him? Which brings the question this morning, and uh, it, it, it's this, why are you standing idle? Now, you're going to understand there's a difference here. I gave Aaron the title to this earlier in the week, and I kind of changed it a little bit. But why are you standing, it kind of gives the same idea, but the scripture there's there, why are you standing idle? Why have you been standing all day, you're standing there idle? Now, the word idle means this. If you, if you look at it from an adjective, it's uh, uh, speaking of a person, it's avoiding work or lazy. So why are you avoiding work or being lazy? Number two there is an adjective it's why are you why are you standing there without purpose or effect or being pointless okay now if you take the verb form of the word idle it's this it's to spend time doing nothing and I think that's the idea of this here is why are you standing around doing nothing why haven't you been doing something there's plenty to do another definition the second definition of a verb which really lends to this as well it's speaking of an engine and it's to run slowly while disconnected from a load or out of gear. And you think about that. That a lot of times is what we as Christians are. The, men, the engine's running, but we don't have it in gear. We're just sitting there idling. And, and it really speaks to potential. All you got to do is throw that thing in gear. And now you can pull the load. You can, you, can, you can go wherever you need to go. You can get a lot accomplished. But as long as that thing's out of gear, you're not going anywhere. You can rev that engine all you want to. And, and if you're not in gear, you're not engaged, you're not getting anything done. So that's the idea of this. Why are you standing idle? The Lord here is asking us this question. So we're going to look at a few points this morning on this idea of why are you standing idle. So why are you standing idle when, when this, the need is colossal? I tried to pick a big word. That would give you the idea. Look, the need is colossal. The need is great. It's a harvest. That's what we're seeing right here. There's a harvest going on. He's going out and he's hiring these people to come and work in the harvest. So there's this great harvest going on. And we see that the need is great. Number one, the harvest is abundant. 
See, the need was great and the harvest is ready and there's a limited time to get it in. Imagine when the grapes are ripe, there's a limited time to get those grapes harvested in before they've turned too ripe, but before they begin to get bad and drop off the, the vines. So there's a limited time there, but the, the harvest is abundant. There's a huge harvest because there's so much to do in such a short time. Now, he had workers out in the harvest, but he kept going out and hiring more. Gives you an idea that the harvest was very abundant. Now, according to scholars that assisted with research in the life of Christ for, for National Geographic's article, article entitled The World of Ancient Judea, listen to what it says. It says, at the time of his birth, the earth's population, the entire population, was about 300 million. I had wondered that before, but I'd never researched it. So I got to look and I found out 300 million at the time of Christ's birth. 300 million people alive. You realize that's less than the population of the United States today. And we, we're, I mean, we think we got a lot of people here. And, and we really don't when you look at the percentage all over earth. About 45 million of those people, uh, including Jesus himself, lived in the Roman Empire. And uh, so that was, that was a small but But on the face of the earth, 300 million people. Anybody know what, where we're at today? Anybody? A little less. Yeah, a little less, a little under. We're almost there. Eight point, I, looked, I looked and it was 8.7, uh, 8 point, no, no, 7.875 billion people. We're just under 8 billion people on the face of the earth. It's a more abundant harvest today. Amen? I mean, they had 300 million people on the face of the earth then. We got almost 8 billion on earth today. The harvest today is colossal. And if the need was great then, how much greater do you think the need is today? And if, and if the, 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 the landowner is going out and hiring more and more and more workers to go out into the harvest, you understand that the need is great. The harvest is abundant. It's there. And there are literally billions that have never heard the name Jesus Christ. Folks, that ought, to, that, ought to, that ought to make us angry is what it ought to make us. Billions of people have never heard the name of Jesus Christ. Certainly not heard the gospel. And sadly, you know, there are many Americans today, a very large number of Americans today who have never heard of Jesus Christ. You know, many of us in this room are, are older we grew up in a time where, I mean, that would have been unheard of to think that, man, nobody had ever heard of Jesus. Most people, back even when I was young, when I was a kid, most people went to church at some point. Today, that's not the case. And right here in Geneva, I wouldn't, I wouldn't bet against that there are people in Geneva who've never truly heard of Jesus Christ and who he really is. Number two, the harvest is abbreviated. The harvest is abundant, but the harvest is abbreviated. John 4.35, uh, do you not say that the Lord says, do you not say there is still four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look at the fields for they are already white for harvest. It's already time to harvest, folks. The Lord said that then. Don't wait. The fields are ripe now for harvest. We shouldn't wait. We shouldn't put off. We need to be about going out and harvesting souls right now. It needs to be a part of what we do, our DNA. The harvest is ready now, and there's a limited time to get it in, lest it be lost. 
this vineyard, if they don't get those, those, those grapes in, if they don't get the harvest in, they're going to spoil right there on the vine. It'll be lost. It'll be too late to harvest it and get it in. There's a time coming. It'll be too late. I want to tell you a story. There's just someone I know in the medical field, and I, I wouldn't share a name, but, but they shared a story with me, and I hope I get the story right. But what happened was they were, they were caring for this person in the hospital, and it built a, a little bit of a relationship, uh, enough that they felt, felt like, now I need, to, I need to share the gospel. I really just need to be bold and go in there and share the gospel and talk to them about the Lord. And uh, had every intention of doing that. And something happened that either pulled this person away or there were other people around at that time and, and just could not do it at that moment. And the thought was, I'll come back and, and, and do that later. And the later ended up, I guess, being the next day. And when the person came back to visit with that person, that person had died. And it, and it was too late at that point. And this person told me, said that they're, they're tormented by that today. And I'm glad they're tormented by it, not because I'm glad they're tormented, but I'm glad they didn't go, ah, no big deal. Their heart was a heart of compassion that I, that, that I had an opportunity, but I missed it. Folks, the harvest is abundant and the harvest is abbreviated. We have to be about the work of winning the lost to Christ. John 9, 4 says, I must do the work of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. There's a time coming where the work's done. The harvest is done. There'll be no more. There'll be no more. So why are you idle? People are dying. People are dying who are lost in their sin. And they're going to hell. The harvest is abundant. The harvest is abbreviated. And number three, workers are absent from the harvest. Luke 10, 2 says, Then he said to them, The harvest truly is great, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. Workers, workers were few in that day. How, how many more workers are needed today? If they were few, when, when there were 300 million on the face of the earth... How many laborers do we need today when there are 8 billion people on the face of the earth? The, the need is great and there is an absence of, of workers in the harvest. Now I've been told, I don't know if it's true, but I've been told that, that success is easy. It's easy. It's easy to be successful. I've been told that all you have to do is work half days and you can be successful. Now you get to choose, do you want to work the first 12 hours? Or the second 12 hours. So it's, so it's easy. It's easy. So in those days, they worked 12-hour days. They worked long days. So when the, the landowner went out and he hired those laborers early in the morning, when he hired them, they was hiring them for a 12-hour day. They were being hired for a long day. And so he, he hires them for a 12-hour day. But he goes back out and he hires others. They're going to be out of nine hours. Others are going to be there six hours. Others are going to be three hours. And here's what's amazing. Because the, the, the harvest is so abundant. There's so much that needs to be done. And it's so abbreviated. There's so little time that the, the landowner is still going out at the 11th hour. I mean, he's going out. They get off at 6. They stop. 
He's sending them out. He's going out and hiring people at 11 o'clock, I mean at 5 o'clock in the afternoon, and they're going to be done at 6. He's still hiring them up to the last minute. He's, it, this ought to give us an idea of how important this harvest is, the abundance of it. There's so much there. There's a lack of laborers. He's still trying to send workers into the field. Now, U.S. News and World Report did an article years ago, and in summing it up, this is really what they said. They said, if Christians really believe in heaven and they really believe in hell, then why is there not a greater urgency among them to reach the lost? Great question from a secular news magazine. And they say, if you really believe in heaven, and you really believe in hell, why aren't you more busy in sharing the gospel? It's a great question. Folks, we need to get busy. We need to get plugged in. I always, I've always loved that term, plugged in. What does that mean? I have like a socket. You need to get plugged in. And you do. You need to get plugged in right here. Right here. There's work to do in this church. There's work to do. I have found that... Uh, this is a church that has a, for the most part, has a mind to work, has a heart to work. But I found that it's, it, it's, it, there's, a, there's a line somewhere where it cuts off. Those that are really engaged, man, they want to they be and do everything. They wanna, but they shouldn't have to. We need everybody engaged. We need everybody. Look, if this is, I'll, I'll say this, if this is your place, if this is it, this is, this is my church then get involved, get plugged in, join the church, commit to the ministry of the church. Be involved somewhere. Cliff does a, man, Cliff does an amazing job. He works, he does our buildings and grounds. He's already read. He doesn't like me to call his name and I, I don't like to have to call Cliff's name. I'd rather somebody else's name. I have to call Cliff's name a lot because you know why? Because Cliff does a lot around here. If there's a need, all we have to do is, is let it be known, man, and Cliff's going to take care of it. But there ought to be other folks that are ready to jump in and do that. Amen. And I say this, and I don't say this lightly, but if this is not a place that you can connect, and this is your home, and you want to be connected and committed and involved, if that's not why you're here, go find a church where you can. That's right. I don't want anybody to leave. But if you're just kind of here, what good is that doing you? Preacher, you just don't need more people to help. Yeah, I do. That's God's plan. But I'm concerned about you spiritually. Are you really connected? Are you really involved? Well, I don't, I don't really want to join because then there's expectations. Yeah, there is because this is a family. It's God's design. And... and, and you know, we've had some folks that said, look, this really isn't, we can't connect here. There's differences this way or that way or whatever. And I said, praise God, go find a church where you can connect. You can be faithful. You can be committed. You will get involved. Do that. Because that's more important. You and your relationship with Christ and how you grow and serving is a huge part of that, folks. The harvest is there. It's there now. We have needs in our church. Well, that's here in the church. You don't think it's important that we care for the kids in the nursery? Hey, why don't I just turn them loose on y'all? Hey, nursery, y'all bring them on in here. Just turn them loose. 
Y'all don't want that. You don't want that bunch in here. I promise you. I turn them loose on you. Y'all change your minds quick. Or that, or that preschool group back there. Ooh, I went in a while ago. I had a headache. 30, th- three seconds looking in, I went, oh, I'm glad I'm preaching this morning. Listen, we need folks with that. And they're, and they're ministering those kids with the gospel. They're, they're, they, don't, they don't just babysit. They're, they're back there. They're doing what they can, pouring into them. Children's Sunday school. We're pouring the word of God into those kids. Is that not important? Absolutely it's important. Everything we do here is intentional in ministry. We have stuff here, but it's not just here, but you shouldn't be involved here. You should be connected here. You should be serving here. And then when you go out of here on Monday, you should be serving out in your community. There should be some way that you... I bet Trish... I like calling names. I bet Trish, when she has her, her, beehive, her, her honey out there and she's doing a thing at some event, I, I bet you the Lord comes up in conversation at some point. Am I wrong? I'm right. I knew I was right. That was a pretty safe bet for me because I know Trish. She's going to be talking about the Lord. So it's not just Sunday morning at church. She's going to be talking about the Lord everywhere she goes and everything she's doing. It's going to be a part. But you ought to be involved here, okay? Enough, preacher. Go on. There's other points there. Get plugged in. Number two, um, why are you standing idle? Remember your coworkers. Now, this is interesting. Remember your coworkers. A, Christ labors with us. Now, that, that's exciting. See, when we do this work, it's not, it's not the Lord going, hey, I want you to go do so-and-so now. You're on your own. Go do it. No, 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 no. He goes with us. 1 Corinthians 3, 9 says, for we are God's fellow workers. It's not, it's not really like he co-labors with us. We co-labor with him. This is his work, and he allows us to be in on it. He allows us to work with him. We don't have to serve God. We get to serve God. That's the, that's the deal. I mean, I... I'm a, I'm, I've told y'all, I'm a, I'm a, people laugh when I say it. I'm a shy person. Shy maybe, maybe that's not the right word. I'm definitely a reserved person when I first get to know you. It takes me a while. I'm reserved. But uh, I have whatever it's called. We did the fear thing. I have the fear of public speaking. I hate it. I absolutely hate it. I still get nervous. I still, in the mornings, I'm, I got that nervous energy. I need somebody to just come up and slap me. No, don't do that. But something to get me going. But, but, but here's what I, I do. I, I know this. God's called me here. He put me here. And because he did, it's not, I don't get up on Sunday morning, oh, man, I got to go preach Sunday. And it's coming again. I got to preach. it. No, I get up in the mornings. I go, man, I get to do this. I may not be real good at it, but I get to do it. God lets me do this. He's called me, he's equipped me, and he's using me, and he's using others. And each one of you, God has a place for you, he has a call for you. And you get to do it. You don't have to do it. You get to do it. So that's the thing. And we're working with the Lord. You ever had somebody you really enjoyed working with? Raise your hands if you had somebody you really enjoyed working with. So you go, man, oh, if you've had a job or different shifts, maybe you'd ask this question. Who's on shift? Jamie, we need you to come in on on Saturday. Okay, we need you to come in on Saturday. Jamie's first question might be what? Who who else is on shift on Saturday? Whether I'm going to take this or not. Don't we ask that? So it makes a difference who you serve with, right? Think about this. We get to serve with Jesus. He's the greatest boss ever because he don't just say, hey, go do this. He says, let's go do this. 
Because he goes with us. He's right there with us. We get to work right beside Jesus in everything we do. He's the boss and he's right there with us. He's the greatest. And so since Christ worked with us, we know that our labor is never in vain. It's never in vain. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And that word vain means this. It means of no profit. So we know that when we labor for the Lord, he says, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor, your work, it's not in vain. It's not not profitable. Our labor for the Lord, when we serve and we do for God, it's always profitable. We may not see the fruit of it. We may not see the benefit of it. We may not see the growth. We may not see the profit, but it's always profitable because God uses it. It is never in vain. There is always a profit to the work of the Lord. Hebrews 6.10 says, I'm going to ask a question real quick. Uh, is there anybody back here on sound? Okay. They're going to kill me. I'm up here banging on this. And I think they've told me not to bang on the podium. And I'm up here hitting on it. So, Aaron, do I need to stay away from that? Y'all can let me know. Okay. <laughs> Six, so Hebrews 6.10 says this. For God is not unjust to forget your labor or your work and labor of love which you have shown toward his name. Now that's indicating right there that we're serving him out of love. We're serving him. We're not serving ourselves. And I'm going to tell you, you serve yourself, there, there's, no, there's no fruit in that. There's no benefit in that. That's serving in vain. But when you're serving the Lord, it's a labor of love you've shown toward his name in that you have ministered to the saints and do minister. Uh, God is not unjust to forget. So there's a couple of things in that. When we serve God, your work hasn't been forgotten. You know, there's times where on your job, you go, man, I never get recognition. I don't get a raise. Nobody ever tells me good job. None of that. I promise you, that's not the case when you work for the Lord. He sees everything. Nothing goes. Nothing is outside the scope of his attention. He knows every little thing you've done. Even to pop in a couple of dollars here or there for something or, or helping someone and nobody else ever saw it. And you, you think, man, you know, does anybody? And, but we don't do those things for attention. But I'm going to tell you, God, it doesn't go outside of attention. But also this, he doesn't forget your, 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 uh, forget your work or your labor. He uses everything you do. When you serve him, he's using it. He's using it. It's, it is being used for the kingdom. So he always knows what's going on. So do it for God's glory. Do it for Jesus' glory. 2 Corinthians 4, 5. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord and ourselves your bondservants for Jesus' sake. Why do we do what we do? We do it for Jesus' sake. Why serve the Lord? For Jesus' sake. Do it for Jesus' glory. Do it for God's glory. Do it for Him. Bring glory to God. So A was Christ labors with us. We're talking about co-workers. Look at our other co-worker. B is the Holy Spirit dwells in us. Don't forget that. John 14, verses 16, uh, 16 and 17 says, And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, a helper, a comforter, a helper that he may abide with you forever, the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Amen. 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 Who's hallelujah back there? I love it. 
1 Corinthians 6, 19. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? 1 Corinthians 2, 14. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Folks, when we labor for the Lord, we don't just labor for the Lord, we labor with the Lord. But we never are alone. The Holy Spirit of God is with us. God, Christ is with us. The Holy Spirit of God is in us. He's dwelling in us. The Holy Spirit of God is within us. He indwells us. And so we have this carnal nature that is warring against the Spirit of God. And the Holy Spirit of God is warring. There's this war going on inside. And when we submit to the Holy Spirit of God, when we walk in the Spirit that we not fulfill the lust of the flesh, when we get in the Spirit, we walk in the Spirit, we live in the Spirit, when we do that, the Spirit of God, He leads us, He guides us. Guides us, he, he, he directs us, He instructs us, He convicts us, He encourages us. Whatever it is that we need, He does that. He prompts us. He says, Hey, why don't you do this over here? Hey, there's a need right there. Why don't you? Here's the time to do it. And you go, Man, why did I get that thought in my mind? That's where it came from. Your flesh ain't telling you to do that. That's the Holy Spirit of God. He's going with you, He's helping you the whole time. And He uses our bodies to reach this lost world. Folks, we are His hands, we are His feet, we are His mouth. You get to put a box together. You get to go out with your own hands and pick up what's going to go in here. You use your money to fund it. Your feet take you there. You're going to put that in there. You're going to put a gospel track in there. You're, you're doing that. That little thing. And, and, and your hands, your feet, your mouth through that gospel is going to some kid somewhere that's going to open that up. And we pray to God that they're touched, their heart is reached, and they come to faith in Christ. Amen. The Holy Spirit uses you. Number three, why are you standing idle? Look, we, we've got a clear command. How can we stand, stand idle when we have such a clear command? Matthew 28, 19 and 20. Go. Go, therefore... And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Again, right there, he's told us, I'm with you. But you go. And that word means, really means as you are going. As you are going, do these things. Everything in our lives ought to be about the gospel. We get so caught up in life that we lose sight of our faith. We lose sight of living out our faith. Well, I got a job to do. I'm busy on the job. And I get distracted with that. And we, 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 we get away from the word. We get away from witnessing. We get away from sharing our faith. But that right there, that Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20, what is that called? This is a great commission, right? Well, commission means this. It's an instruction, command, or duty given to a person or group of people. So the Great Commission is really the Great Command. And I was thinking as I was even re looking over this this morning, how, how it's like in military terms. You know, when you get your commission, you get your commission, there's an assignment there. That's, that's, a, that's a big deal. And when you're, when you're, you know, if you're special forces and you've got a, a commission, you've been given something to go out on, man, you're, you're ready to go do that because that's what you're there for. That's what you've been trained to do. The creator of the universe, our Savior, the one who died for us and saved us from our sin. 
He's given us a command to go and share the gospel. How could we do anything else? Now, did your mom or dad ever tell you to do something? Ever give you a command? Anybody ever get that? I'm asking the older generation because the younger generation, y'all get treated different. Y'all get treated different. It's just true. Um, so when mom or dad told you to do something, you know, what'd you do? You, you did it. How many, of you, how many of you ever said, I'll get to it later? <laughs> that's, that, that's that laugh of, are you kidding? You, you might have once, right? Uh, or, I'll think about it. I'll think about it. Well, then that's when mom or dad, they'd say, well, let me help you think about that. That's what they would do. So I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you the story. And if my mom comes, please don't bring this up to her. All right. She would, she, she would, she's asked me, said, you don't ever tell that story, but I'm going to tell this story. Worst beating I ever got in my life. I, I might've been 10, nine, eight, somewhere in there probably. And uh, I'm out in the yard. My mom says, I need you to water the dogs. And it's just a pan out there. We turn the faucet on, let the water run in the pan, and we've watered the dogs. Super simple. But we had some people over, some friends, and we were taking off. We were on an adventure. So I said, I'll do it. I'll do it. And proceeded to just walk right on out of the yard and go do what I wanted to do. So I got back later. In my mind, and I remember thinking it in my mind, I thought, I'll do that when I get back. But I forgot to do it when I got back. And so we're up on the porch, and uh, my mom says, did you water the dogs? Kids, when your parents ask you a question, they already know the answer. Just, just a little key there. They already know the answer. Most of them already know the answer. So I, I, but I didn't lie. I told her, I said, oh, I forgot. I forgot. And my mom, in one swoop, of one just ninja moment, grabbed a dog leash off the wall, grabbed my hand, and went to Wayland. And it's amazing how fast you can go in a circle. <laughs> but I promise you, uh, I never made light of anything that she asked me to do again. Now, I don't condone getting after your kids with a dog leash. But I don't condemn my mother for that either. I learned, I learned a great lesson from that right there. Mark 16, 15, and he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every uh, creature. It's a command God's given us. It wasn't the great suggestion. It wasn't just a great idea. It was a great commission. It's a command for us, his children. So understand something, that Jesus was speaking to his disciples there, but he was also speaking to his disciples today. The command is just as real for us today, just as strong for us today as it was for any of those that he was physically talking to on the face of the earth right then. He says that to us today. So uh, are, are you his disciple? Because if you are, he was and he is speaking to you to go and make disciples. Acts 1.8 says, But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And this is not about us four and no more. Man, we got a great church here. We got great folks, and man, we like our little group. We'd rather not have new people come in and try to mess up our group. It's wrong thinking, folks. It ain't us four and no more. It's let's reach everybody and anybody that we can. Let's get out here and get Geneva, and let's let's reach them with the gospel. Let's get them in fellowship and church together. Let's build those relationships with each other. Let's help them grow in their walk with Christ, which will help me grow in my walk with Christ. Amen.
Now, through the IMB, the International Mission Board, and through the North American Mission Board, and through some individual missionaries that we support, we support missions all around the world out of this church. And uh, we're going to support even more in the days to come. We're going to support more, more missions, worldwide, national, local, all that. We're going to do more missions. You're going to hear a lot more about missions coming very, very soon. And we're going to do a lot more of that. But folks, every time you leave those doors, we're entering into a mission field. We're, we're going to give to missions. We're going to support missionaries. We want to bring them in and let them report on what's going on all around the world. We want to hear more and more about that. But, folks, when you leave out of here, you've got a job to do. And it's not just to come back on Wednesday night or, or come back next Sunday or three, three Sundays from now or whenever the next time I decide to go to church. We go out of here, it's to go out into the mission field and to do what God's called me to do. Amen? So if you're saved and you're on your way to heaven, why are you standing around? Don't stand around. You know, the, the parable of the talents, the, the, the man gave his, gave those servants, he gave one five, he gave one two, he gave, he gave one one. And the five talent guy went out and he worked with it and he, he came back and he, he had earned five more. And, and the, and, and the, Master there said, well done, good and faithful servant. The one with the two talents went out and just did what he could do with the two, and he earned two more. He said, well done, good and faithful servant. The one that had one went out scared and buried his talent. And then when the Lord came back, he brought it back to him. He says, oh, I knew you were a hard man, and you reap where you don't sow, and this and that and the other, and I brought you back your one talent. And he said, you wicked servant. The least you could have done is put it in the bank and earned interest on it. Folks, I say it because here's, here's what many of us are doing. We're burying our talent. God doesn't, doesn't call you to be uh, successful. He calls you to be faithful. And faithfulness means you take what he's given you and you use it for his glory. Amen? Amen. Amen. So we've got this great command we got a colossal need, and we've got the best co-workers we could ever want in this work. Why are you standing idle? The last thing I'm going to look at is this, is observe his compelling compassion. When we look at Jesus, Matthew 9, 36, he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them. Matthew 14, 14, when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude, and he was moved with compassion for them. Matthew 18, 27, then the master of the servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. Y'all are familiar with that story there with the, the servant that owed more than he could ever pay, and he was forgiven, but then he went out and he would not forgive and, and when the master brought him back in, the master tells him, he says, should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? Folks, the Lord is compassionate. He's shown much compassion on us. We need to show compassion. Mark 5, 19, however, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. Go share what the Lord has done for you. Share his compassion, the compassion he had on you. Go have that compassion for others. 1 Peter 3, 8, finally, all of you be of, of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love your brothers. Be tenderhearted. Be courteous. Now, Philippians 2, which is probably one of my favorite chapters in all of Scripture, verse 5 says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. 
which tells us we, we need to have the same attitude Christ had. We need to be compassionate. We need to see those people who do not know Christ as their Savior. Those people who need to be born again. And folks, we ought to be compassionate. But here's what compassion does. It moves us. It said again and again and again that he was moved with compassion. And compassion compels you to action. That's different from sympathy. You can be sympathetic and not do a thing. You can even be empathetic with someone and not do anything about it. But if you have compassion, it moves us. It compels us to action. We ought to have the same mind that Christ had. Jesus came, humbled himself to the point of going to the cross. Became a man. Imagine that. You're God. And now you're going to go and take on the form of your creation. Go home and build a Play-Doh stick man. Do you want to become a Play-Doh stick man? you want to become something you've created? That's what God did. He took on the form of a, of a man. He humbled himself and became a servant. And he went to the cross. He bore our sin. He paid our debt. He died for us so that we could be redeemed, bought back, bought back brought back into right relationship with the Father. And having done that, we ought to have the same attitude that he had. We should humble ourselves and we should be compassionate to those around us who need the Lord Jesus. With all God has done for us, how can we not live out our life for him? Look, don't just live for yourself. Don't just live for yourself. Live for him. And live for him by living for others and serving others and going out and winning others. One last quote and I'm done. Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, have you no wish for others to be saved? Then you're not saved yourself. Be sure of that. Folks, if you don't have a desire to see others come to faith in Christ, you should question your own salvation. So what do you do with this? Why am I standing around? Let's stand. Father, Pastor Aaron, you guys can come.